I'm Kim Raycon, Marketing Associate for Harper Academic, and I'd like to welcome you to Harper Academic's latest endeavor, the podcast Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators and students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers about their books. Academic calling Jacqueline Woodson and Ann Patchett. I'm Kim Raycon, Marketing Associate at Harper Academic, and for our first ever episode of Harper Academic Calling, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Jacqueline Woodson and Ann Patchett to talk about their latest novels. Jacqueline Woodson's Another Brooklyn tells the story of August, whose chance encounter with an old friend sets in motion resonant memories, transporting her to a place and time she thought she had mislaid. 1970s Brooklyn, where friendship was everything. August, Sylvia, Angela, and Gigi shared themselves through stories as they ambled through their neighborhood streets, with a future that belonged to them. But beneath the hopeful promise, there was another Brooklyn, a place where innocence meets the all-too-real perils of growing up. Another Brooklyn is a formative coming-of-age novel about the indelibility of friendship for four girls growing up in Brooklyn. The day we recorded this episode, it was announced that Another Brooklyn had been named among the finalists for the 2016 National Book Award, and we wish Jacqueline the best of luck at November's ceremony. Anne Patchett's seventh novel, Commonwealth, begins in the early 1960s at Beverly and Fix Keating's christening party for their daughter, Franny. Bert Cousins turns up with a large bottle of gin in lieu of an invitation. With the help of his gin, Bert kisses Beverly, sparking an affair that splits and reconfigures their families. Bert and Beverly divorce their spouses and marry each other and move to Virginia, where their six children come together each summer. Commonwealth crosscuts between the lives of the Keating and Cousins families over the next five decades. In her 20s, Franny Keating begins a relationship with the renowned novelist Leon Polson, who is in need of inspiration for a new book. The stories she tells him of her childhood sow the seeds for his best-selling comeback, also entitled Commonwealth. The impact of that novel and the secrets it reveals are the threads Patchett uses to stitch together the stories of the six Keating cousins' children and their four parents. Our first episode was recorded at the Free Library of Philadelphia, so we'd like to give a special thank you to Andy Kahn, Director of Author Events at the Free Library, for his help in coordinating this episode. And of course, thanks to Jacqueline and Anne for being so generous with their time and answers. (laughs) So I'm here with Jacqueline Woodson, author of Another Brooklyn, and Anne Patchett, author of Commonwealth. And first and foremost, Jacqueline, congratulations. The news this morning on your National Book Award (laughs) finalist for Another Brooklyn. That is excellent, excellent news. You're very, very welcome. Do you have any idea if there have been other people nominated in two categories, like, uh, do you have stats on the um, chances that you I, You know, I looked it up, and there were people who were nominated in, po- there was a person who was nominated in poetry and nonfiction. Interesting. And I think there was um, maybe someone else in fiction and nonfiction. 
I think. I'm not sure. Has anybody won in two categories? I don't know. I'm going to know this. These were all all questions that were asked at our marketing meeting this morning. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, all right. Yeah, Yeah, when we got the news. Um, Did anyone Google it? Not in the meeting that I know, or if they did, they didn't yeah. raise that point. I was thinking if this was baseball, they would have it in they like would, a split it, second. Immediately. Yeah. That would yeah. be one person's dedicated job. like a flank of, <laughs> of interns. <laughs> yes, to look that up, yeah. So one of the things that interested me um, out of both of your books was how both novels talked about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Lots of people told stories. Stories were either half-told untold somebody told one version to one person and somebody else got another version and that was one thing that really really interested me about both of your books so i figured most of our conversation is going to be along sort of storytelling lines who told stories how did those stories get told so first um to jacqueline i suppose in another brooklyn it is framed as a story that is triggered from memories Mm -hmm. Uh, it starts at a funeral uh, and then we start to reminisce on the subway when we have a chance encounter. What impact does memory have for you on how another Brooklyn gets told? Hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, you know, it's also convoluted w- in the process, and I think that's what these interviews are, right? They become memory, right? Because we we think, we make believe we know what we were doing when we were doing it and how intentional we were in the doing of it. Or when we did it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember. I I remember, you know, I wanted to write about memory and I wanted to write about how we exist inside of memory. Like, even when we're Mm -hmm. in the moment, we're not really in the moment. We're already looking back at the moment we were just in and talking about that moment. So, that constant shift in not only memory, but the gaze, right? Mm-hmm. So so August is this unreliable narrator who's kind of all over the place and seeing all these different things. But for me, I, I, I live inside memory. I, memory is so important to me. I, this writer just died, and a friend of mine said she died of Alzheimer's. I'm like, ah! Like, but then she found out she didn't. But, um, who was? Um, Gloria Naylor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask yeah. you, because I just saw yeah. that. Yeah, but I don't think it was Alzheimer's. I think my friend might be. And she was young, it. too. Yeah. She's 66. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, did anyone ever, I, I didn't. It, it said heart failure in the Times. Oh. Oof. So, so memory for me personally is very important. And I, I think I keep a lot of stuff in my head just because I want to remember it. And, and of course, in another Brooklyn, I wanted to have the history of Bushwick on the page and remembered. And so that was very intentional. Does that answer that? That does answer that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so it's your turn. Yes, the teacher in me would say that, yes, you also did a good job. Yeah. So, and for you in Commonwealth, lots of stories get told lots of different ways. And you have characters constantly questioning versions of stories that are told as the, as the novel goes along. So how does memory work for you for this ensemble cast that you that you have, these, these blending of families that you have in Commonwealth? I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to give you an answer which I don't necessarily know is the answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know how well we do on Jeopardy, but that's, yeah, okay. right. that's a good thing we're not there. Somebody <laughs> asked me this kind of question yesterday at an event, and, and something came to me that I thought, oh, this makes so much sense that it really is about how 
people in childhood especially are impacted by their age. Mm -hmm. So they can have the exact same experience, but when you're a child, the difference between 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 is so enormous. So what happens to all children at the same time is a completely different experience based on how old they are. Mm -hmm. And the example that I gave was I was in a really serious car accident when I was a child and my sister and my stepfather and I were in the car. And my sister never ever let me ride in the front seat of the car ever once until I was 30 because that was her domain. So she was hurt terribly and almost died and her injuries just went on to shape her whole life. I was in the back seat. I had a load of cosmetic injuries, but they weren't life-threatening. My sister and I weren't wearing seatbelts. My stepfather was wearing a seatbelt. So, you know, here we all are in this very pivotal moment in our lives, but we had three entirely different um, memories or occurrences around the single accident. And I thought that's the way memory is for the book and for the people of the book. It's one thing happening, but impacting different people so profoundly differently. Hmm. That's so true. I mean, I, I hadn't thought of that either in terms of people being different ages, the um, event having a different impact on, but on them, but it makes total sense. Yeah, how much we're able to remember and understand. Mm -hmm. Are you the, you're not the oldest. I'm the middle child. You're the middle. Yeah, so my younger brother was too young to remember a lot of stuff. My sister was checked out. <laughs> my older brother claims he remembered, but it, it, it was probably through the guise of a comic book. So. I mean, my sister is so essential to my brain, my ability mm -hmm. to process stories. I'm constantly calling her and saying, do you remember this person? You know, do you remember this place? What did we do then? Her memory, because she's three and a half years older mm -hmm. than I am, is so much better than mine in all events. Um, Just because she was she was older, you know, we came up against <laughs> these things at different times. Childhood memories. Yeah, but are you sure? Is the true memory, I, or because, I, or is it because you adore her because she's your older sister and you've always looked up to her, and so she's always been the truth, even when she's when she falters. Wreck it for me. <laughs> <laughs> In our first podcast, we also have the downfall of Anne Patchett. Yes. <laughs> Anne Patchett's memories. It's, it's really not that my sister is completely adored. It's that my sister is, is somehow less romantic than I am. Mm -hmm. She's so practical. Like, I just trust her mm -hmm. memory more than my own. My sister okay. doesn't shape everything into a story. She, uh -huh. She's much more likely to sort of deal in fact. Huh. That's funny, because, you know, I have the older sister who's a year and a half, and her memory is, she has, she doesn't, she, she relies on me for memory. And I think oh, part of it, because she was such a pothead, and forgot yeah. a lot, and so, or checked out a lot. And Do you have super early memories? Yeah, I mean, I could go back as far as maybe two and a half. Really? Yeah, yeah. What? And my, you know, it's so funny, because my mother will always say, you don't remember that. And I'd be like, how do I know? <laughs> so, so, and, and it finally got to the point where she was, she got it. And, and me, it became a thing to know because kids do have 
early memories, right? Mm -hmm. And we think, oh, they're not going to understand this, so let's do this in front of them and say that in front of them. And and some of it they do hold on to. I mean, I remember um, I remember us going to the photographer to get our pictures taken and um, um, my mother yelling at him because he was saying I was older. And, and that was, I'm, so I was about, I was two and a half. Um, and then they eventually passed me off as a six-year-old. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and and I remember a lot about the physical spaces we lived in, yeah. which we didn't we didn't have photos of them, so it's just. I hear this all the time from people who write, and yeah. I have really early memories. That mm -hmm. people who write have early memories, and I read something recently that said people whose parents were divorced when they were very young have much earlier memories huh. because of why? the because of the upheaval and the disruption in pattern. Mm -hmm. That if you have disruption in pattern as a very young child, you're much more likely to remember your childhood. Hmm. What's the pattern, though? Right? Well, like if you stay in the same house and you go to this, you know, the school uh -huh. or the, you have lunch and dinner and the same friends in the same place. Mm -hmm. But if you're picking up and moving when yeah, you're very small, yeah. or one parent who was in the house is no uh, longer in yeah. the house, yeah, you know, the sort of big ticket disruptions. Huh. Because I was thinking, I, you know, if they eventually get divorced, there was probably some disruption for a long time. How but yeah, were you and your I, parents split? When I was two months, oh, so wow, my okay. brother was three and a half. Okay. And then when they got back together, I was thirteen, fourteen, and so that I remember. You know, right. I, but I remember the first time my mom left us to go to South Carolina to go to come go to New York to um, look for a place to, for us to live and my absolute heartbreak at her leaving. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't remember my father and my mother separating, but my brother does. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Huh. That does make sense, though, about... Yeah, and I think we also just hold on to memory. I mean, people... But I, I think writers also take stuff in so much more deeply. Like, we're paying attention even when we don't want to be paying attention and taking stuff in, and other people don't even see it. So. Do you, I'm, I feel like I'm hijacking no, the interview. Um, have you had the experience of coming on a very, very strong, clear memory that in which you realize you're wrong? That you were wrong <laughs> about your interpretation of the situation as a child? Yeah, well, I, I found that some of the memories I had with my younger brother, that was the case. And it's heartbreaking, right? Because I at some points I realized, wow, I was a really cruel child to him. And Well, that's um, what I think what Commonwealth is largely yeah. about. Yeah. You know, uh, being, yeah, being incredibly yeah. cruel to your younger brother because mm -hmm. you thought he was just a wild beast. And yeah. then you're like, God, he was just a little bitty kid. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, couldn't help who he was or what he was right. doing. And right, right how he was in the world. But yeah, those are some of the memories. And and interestingly enough, my, my brother adored me. I mean, he still adores me. And I have so much guilt about, you know, that not being the best big sister I could have been to him when he was a little kid. And I also have memories where I was so clear. Like even with my father in um, Brown Girl Dreaming from 
the first edition to the second edition, I had to change it because I always thought he was the oldest son. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then I found out he was the baby of the family. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. wow. So, like, so that's amazing. That's why yeah. there's another edition. Yeah. <laughs> you always get a chance. It yeah. makes the first edition more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there are definitely memories. I think I'm so clear on. It was like, no, that wasn't it. Thinking about that, that guilt, do you think Franny in Commonwealth feels guilt? Regarding Albie or, or anything, mm. really, because Leo, she you know, she kind of brings Leo into the mix, however yeah. wittingly or unwittingly, and this very local story becomes much, much bigger, much grander, much yeah. more public. I think actually there is a point after they go see the movie and then they go to the hospital and they've just done such a disastrous job of the day, and she says to Caroline, your guilt has nothing on my guilt. You know, your guilt's not even in the ballpark. So I think that she, I think absolutely she does. I think that she has guilt about the suffering that she's caused Albie, both as a child and then again as an adult. adult. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, because one of the things that, that struck me is when Cal's accident happens, when, when, when he went there at the farm, mm -hmm. and Carolyn is the one that gives them a script, right? She says, Here, here's the story we're going to tell. Uh, and it seems that everyone knows that story except Albie because he has his special Tic Tacs. Right. <laughs> and um, he gets very angry when he gets very insistent that, you know, Cal was shot, this is what happened, when that's totally not the true story of events what whatsoever mm -hmm. do you think his anger and his his place i guess in the family is is as the one whose whose story is kind of often overlooked by everyone else yeah i think that that's true but i also think it's true that people tell lies especially children and then they just believe stick them. to it yeah. i mean they it's more than they stick to it it becomes the, the truth, truth for them they can visualize it and it's absolutely true. Um, I've just been reading this book um, called Who Killed These Girls by Beverly Lowry, which has a lot to do with false confessions and why people make false confessions. And that if you put somebody in an interrogation room and you just hammer away at them for days saying, you did kill her, you did kill her, you did, they, and they supply all the details that the person absorbs that and actually begins to remember something that isn't true. So in that scene, I wow. think that Albie really does remember that he saw this crime that never happened. Right, right. And then for August, she has memories that become very tragic as she thinks back on them. What do you think is her most tragic mm. memory? Um, you could choose more than one. <laughs> Well, I think her, well, yeah, I think a couple, when she walks through the park and she sees her best friend with the boyfriend, I think when she walks to the water and remembers that her mother walked into the water, um, and I think her being up in that window with her brother and watching the girls walk by laughing, and that just the heartbreaking of that, of that moment of being reminded how outside of a thing she is and um, but yeah she's a, she's a pretty tragic figure um, 
and learns how to, of course, cope with it through anthropology. Uh, there are a number of places where my heart breaks for her. Yeah, 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 mine too. Yeah. Last question for you both. Since this is a podcast aimed at educators, who were your favorite teachers? <laughs> I had, well, my feminist teacher, Miss Bebo, in fifth grade was fabulous. Still have such a crush on her. Um, and I had a teacher, Mr. Miller, in 11th grade who let me do what I want, wanted, like, especially <laughs> when it came to writing. So I adored him. Um, the teacher that I hated when I was a kid, Sister Nina, who was my nun and taught me to read and write from first grade through third grade. And I thought she was just my mean nun, my mean nun story. And then we met again when I was in my late thirties and she is my best friend and we are together all the time and she's 84 and I take care of her and, and I realized that I hated her because she was keeping me in from recess because I didn't know how to read. And she actually thought it was important that I learned how to read and I wanted her to leave me alone. I was very embarrassed by my secret. And she was always pulling it into the light and saying, we're gonna solve the problem. And I didn't want her to call me out. So that's what I was thinking of when I think of you know m my memories that are wrong. But she really was my most important teacher. Alan Gargan is my most important writing teacher, but Sister Nina kind of, the, I would probably still be functionally illiterate if it wasn't for Sister Nina. Huh, and does she know that? I know you oh, get yeah. to see her in Tennessee. I wow. wrote a piece about it. I wrote Where? the whole, um, it's the last piece in This is the Story of a oh, Happy Marriage. If yes, you didn't yes, get to the very yes. end, you missed huh. Sister Nina. Oh so, my goodness, I, yeah. I didn't remember this. And, and I'll tell you, the most horrifying moment was taking that essay to her and saying, I never told you that I hated you, and now you have to read it. Is this okay? Um, and she was very nice because she's a nun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both very much and have a great time thank tonight. Thank you so much.